Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick, and I am glad you're here. Today's episode is brought to you by Sion. I will share a little bit more about them later on in the episode, but you can try Sion today at seon.io forward slash demo. So today I wanted to talk a little bit about the holidays of 2021, as well as just kind of a year in review. I mean, super high level. I can't do that in 30 minutes, <laughs> but in full detail, but specifically around fraud and what I'm seeing from this 10,000 foot view that I am so lucky to have and from the retailers, online merchants and fintechs that trust me to continue to share with me what's going on on the ground. So I'll be you know, talking a little bit about some of the current trends and methods that retailers have experienced during the 2021 holiday season. We had a really productive collaboration call on December 23rd. Uh, believe it or not, 10 to 15 retailers showed up on a Zoom call eager to collaborate with each other. And I'll share a little bit of what came out of that call anonymously, of course. I'll also provide the top several ways that I've observed online fraud is shifting and evolving. And this will continue on into next week's fraud news episode, where I'll share some of my 2022 predictions, so to speak. I'm using air quotes, but I know you can't see them. Kind of, I'll also be complimentary to a pretty incredible article that Frank McKenna and Marianne Miller put together in this week's Frank on Fraud blog. Highly recommend it. I did have Frank on the podcast last year. I don't have the episode number handy, but you can just search for Frank McKenna in the podcast uh, and you'll find the episode. But I really appreciated their predictions. Also appreciated that they included me in one of them, but that's not why I'm plugging it. I, I think it was just a really good article. And there honestly aren't that many that are really substantial and help people do their jobs better. And I think that's what they accomplished. So I will be adding to that a little more specific for e-commerce and fintech next week. So you'll have that to look forward to. And then also, if you have not listened to the last episode where I spoke with Gil Rosenthal, a fintech risk advisor, I highly recommend it. I have gotten some pretty incredible feedback from people that I respect in the industry that they really enjoyed that episode. So go back and listen to it and make sure you're subscribed so that you can hear the second part of my conversation with him where we're going to talk about probably the main fraud trend that is impacting all areas of the payments ecosystem in different ways, but it's the same problem. And I think without knowing the pieces of how it's impacting everyone in the ecosystem, each silo, so to speak, is seeing it in a different way. So we completely nerded out on that episode, so I think a lot of people will really appreciate it, and it's it's a doozy, but it's really good to be informed, and that's kind of been my new mantra now is, although I used to always try to provide solutions to problems, and I do still try to do that, 
I think that even just letting people know about new issues that can be, you know, that you can see in the wild, so to speak, is a solution enough sometimes. So that's, you know, just knowing about the problem is helping you to get halfway to understand it, so to speak. Diving into fraud trends and attacks in the holiday season of 2021, I talked about it a little bit a few weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into all of the statistics and everything. There were some good studies that were put together that I shared on a previous episode about the holiday season. We don't have a lot of those statistics out about the entire holiday season yet, uh, but there is some good information around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and the trends that some providers were starting to see at that time. But what I wanted to share was some highlights from the conversation that I had with the retailer collaboration group that I host uh, biweekly. And I'm so humbled at the people and the companies that are a part of it. And it's just magic. Some of the things that came out of this call two days before the Christmas holiday was really some on the ground reports, right? So these aren't statistics, but these are what they're experiencing. And I would say all of these are brand name retailers that you've heard of. So if they're impacting, if this is impacting them, chances are it's rolling downhill as well. And I should also say that there's been some interesting synergy between issues that the merchants in my travel and ticketing call have been experiencing and issues that the retailers are experiencing. There's been some ability for me to cross pollinate information there in a few different ways. So Really, even though this is coming from retailers, I'm saying this because even if you aren't in retail, chances are you're seeing this or will see this, as you know, as soon as one hole gets plugged, so to speak, they'll often move on to a different target or they'll adapt depending on how well they know your systems and how much they want what your company sells. So on that note, Reshipping mules were still big. I mean, I feel like this has been an issue for, I don't know, the last 15 years at least, but it's kind of a favorite tactic of Eastern European crime syndicates. And I think I talked about it on the last fraud news episode, but I was contacted by a company that I work with at times that has access to fraudster data storage. In some cases, often it's information about compromised accounts or compromised individuals or cards or various pieces of compromised data that fraudsters are about to monetize or are currently monetizing. And they're able to help their clients in that way. And they provided me with a database of about 300 reshipping meals with, along with retailers' names that are being targeted. And I was able to contact about 60% of those retailers and get them in touch with the provider that had this list so that they could look at the addresses. And for those of you who don't know what reshipping mules are, I should probably start with that. <laughs> but basically, when people overseas are stealing credit cards for physical goods, if they were to use a U.S. credit card and ship it to Russia or Ukraine or Bulgaria or anywhere in Eastern Europe, uh, and actually there are some fraud rings in APAC that are also prefer this method. Instead, they know that that's going to raise flags. So instead, they sometimes recruit knowingly or unknowingly mules within the U.S. that provide their residential address to accept packages. And then often they will reship them to the intended fraudster overseas. 
They love electronics. They love high dollar clothing, uh, sometimes power tools and equipment. Like it, the list of items is always kind of interesting to me, but they're often trying to get those physical items so that they can sell them in their country for much higher dollar than here. But also they got it for free on a stolen credit card. So sometimes they will recruit these reshipping mules through romance scams or work from home scams. But other times I've been seeing ads posted in some of these fraud groups on Telegram and Discord and even Reddit where they're offering people flat fees like $300 for the use of their address for two weeks. They know that it's not going to last forever, but they it's interesting. Actually, this database even had a start date and an end date, and it was usually 10 to 14 days. Anyway, that is still going strong, and there were some of the items were able to be pulled back before they were shipped to or before they arrived at the reshipper's address. But in other cases, these teams were able to go back in and research and look at what happened and then mark all the linked accounts as fraud. And often they found that there were other newer accounts that were linked to that by various identifiers that they were able to cancel. Kind of felt like Santa Claus a little bit a week or two before Christmas, but the story is not about me. Uh, but one of the merchants shared with me something that I thought was interesting. They noticed that the naming convention of the customer that was placing these orders was often the first name of the cardholder and the last name of the person receiving it. So just kind of an interesting tidbit for you to keep an eye out, out for. They do love the holidays because having a billing address in one location and a shipping in another is so common during the holidays, but they'll do this year round. So still something to keep an eye on. Obviously, buy online pickup in store fraud is still happening, especially with COVID measures. Fraudsters have ID'd weak processes and, and policies. And this is a challenge for retailers because they're trying to be sensitive to the fact that good customers don't want to pull out their ID or, you know, talk to someone or sign something because of, you know, social distancing. And so some retailers have decided, you know what, we're just going to take their word for it. If they have the order number, we'll provide them with the item. Others are placing a few more restrictions. It just really varies on the retailer how they are managing this, but it is something that retailers are noticing are, are being taken advantage of. Obviously, gift cards are also significantly big in the holiday season. Uh, side note, I just saw a post on LinkedIn by someone in the payment space, which fraud is closely related to, and I started out in the payment side, so kind of a geek in both areas. But they're saying that there's an estimated $1.6 billion in Starbucks wallets, like cumulative, just sitting dormant. Starbucks wallets are paid for by or powered by their gift cards. Those are the rails that they've put that wallet through. So essentially, there's $1.6 billion in Starbucks gift cards that are tied to wallets. And that is actually significantly higher than a lot of banks' values within the U.S. So just something interesting tidbit I just saw and it, it goes to show just the power of that and I think I had mentioned on a previous episode that there's definitely money laundering activity happening on gift cards and there has been for a long time especially on the open loop gift cards the ones with card brand names on them but also in the closed loop ones the private label gift cards fraudsters are finding that these are untraceable and that as crypto continues to be more looked at and regulated for 
anti-money laundering, they're going towards the gift card route. And I have a feeling that is going to be something I'm going to talk about a little bit more next week in my 2022 predictions. But it's something just to kind of watch out for and be aware of as you're looking at how you're protecting all lines of business within your company. Another trend that is actually impacting both travel and ticketing merchants as well as retailers, and I would imagine many other verticals too, is that fraudsters are using data for cardholders to look very legitimate. This is something they've been trying for forever, but it seems like they're getting a lot more successful, especially in the last few months, with the name and email and even the billing address being matched with the bank, as well as matching verification systems. So if you're using an outside system to verify the user's name and email and phone number that it all belongs to that person. Fraudsters know that. And so they are now accessing that information and going to the lengths of doing that. It does appear by all accounts that they don't have access to the email address. They're just using it for verification. So there is a risk that the cardholder will see, you know, an order confirmation or something like that, but that often they're bombing their email address with tons of spam at the same time they're placing an order or other ways to try to get them not to look at that. Or they're just hoping that the sale will go through before the cardholder has any knowledge or that they think it's spam. Like, who knows, right? So that's, that is a huge issue and something that is related to another point I'm going to make as far as overall trends I saw this year. But it's something uh, specifically on one card brand. They're seeing this more than others, but it's one of the closed loop brands. But this is happening on all accounts. And we can thank all of the breaches of the last several years for this information being more or less publicly available if you know where to look. Freight forwarders, these are a little different than reshipping mules. Freight forwarders are traditionally businesses that specialize in receiving orders in the U.S. for customers overseas. There are a few merchants, especially in the luxury goods space, that actually have found that these are good even. You know, there are some people that live overseas that really want those name brand items and are willing to pay for them to be shipped overseas. And these freight forwarders take care of customs and everything else. So, and we had a good conversation about this as far as when is a freight forwarder okay and when is a freight forwarder address or, you know, a known freight forwarder not okay. And every company, depending on what you sell and your company culture and your rules and all of that has to make that decision. There are some that just full on block them because fraudsters use freight forwarders as well. So sometimes some companies will just write them all off as risky. I know there are at least a couple of fraud prevention systems that provide lists of freight forwarders or have them in their database and provide extra risk when those happen, or in some cases, we'll just automatically decline them if they're associated to those risks, just depending on the merchant's internal policies on that. But one of the indicators that came up that I thought was interesting and, and worth passing along is oftentimes, you know, when merchants are seeing good orders coming from these freight forwarders, they'll see a card coming from a foreign country and the address and everything is in a foreign country. And often you can also do a reverse address lookup on the freight forwarder. And oftentimes freight forwarders, depending on where in the U.S. they are, they're often in coastal cities, will specialize in different areas of the world. So for instance, reshippers in Miami are often 
shipping to Latin America. Reshippers up in Maine and the Northeast Coast will be shipping to Eastern Europe and Western Europe as well. And then oftentimes on the West Coast, especially in Portland for whatever reason, sometimes in the Seattle area and others, but often it feels like it's in Portland, that will often go to uh, Asia and the APAC region. So just something to realize, right? So if you see a order going to a freight forwarder that specializes in Latin American shipping and they're purchasing an item with a U.S. card and a U.S. billing address and shipping to this Miami, that's probably a little risky and worth looking into. If they're shipping, if they have a Brazilian credit card and, you know, Brazilian email, it's .br and they're shipping to a freight forwarder in Miami, it might be more legitimate. That it's not, as you all know, this is not an exact science. So you're looking at all indicators, but those are just a couple to keep in mind as you're looking at freight forwarders. That's specific to physical goods retailers, but that's something that uh, often comes up in conversation when we're having these collaborations. Also, something to know is that retailers with a business-to-business channel are getting exploited. There are a lot of retailers, and I did, honestly wasn't as aware of this, <laughs> and I think a lot of people aren't, right? So there's a lot of retailers that also have a B2B segment of their business, whether they specialize in travel and entertainment or you know, they're selling to professionals in an industry like hardware or beauty or stylists, just all different areas, right? So I know of at least one luxury goods company that mentioned they had uh, some other stylists have their emails fished and that fraudsters were going through that channel because oftentimes merchants won't I don't want to say police that channel as much, but they often won't put that channel through their uh, fraud prevention tools or they're just not paying as much attention to it because it hasn't been risky before. But fraudsters are starting to realize that this is a more trusted channel. And so they're taking advantage of it. In one case, there was a fairly large online travel agency that has, and, and most of the online travel agencies have this, where they have a network of travel agents as well and they go through a separate channel. And in one case, there was a travel agent that was booking all these really expensive packages and they were all turning into chargebacks. And when the fraud team started looking into it, they reached out to that travel agency and said, hey, what's going on with this travel agent? It seems like every large package, it was over $10,000 each, in some cases, 20 or 30,000, every package they've recently, you know, they didn't book any packages for a while. And now every time they book a package, it's turning into a chargeback. So what's going on? And the travel agency shared that that travel agent had passed away a year ago. So still not sure how that happened. I mean, obviously they should have turned off his access, but those are just some examples of how these B2B channels are being exploited. I think one thing to do is to consider to put them through your fraud prevention system or to have at least some kind of exception reporting or looking at this to find if there's any kind of activity that's just outside the norm. Keeping an eye on that, I think, is a good thing. And then refund fraud. Obviously, this is going to continue to be an issue, but I found it interesting that I received multiple emails from a few of the biggest companies in the world mid-December, kind of that second week of December, saying, oh, wow, 
This thing you've been talking about for a year and a half, it's really hitting us hard. Can you help? So I have a few discovery calls I'm looking forward to this month to have those conversations. And I know that I'm going to be spending a bulk of my 2022 helping retailers really audit their processes and work together with their customer service and warehouse to create better policies and processes, as well as leveraging some technology and tools that have been helpful to some of the retailers I've worked with in the past on this issue. So that's something that is just going to continue to be front of mind for me. I think I don't talk about it as much because I feel like I talk about it all the time. But if this is some a topic that you really would like me to deep dive on with a more future focused look you know, or maybe updates or whatever, just feel free to let me know. I always enjoy hearing from you guys and especially what you want to learn about. I know at least a few listeners that want to hear about loyalty fraud, so that will be coming soon. But anything else you want to learn, you can always let me know. So beyond the refund fraud, you know, it's, I think what I would say, one more thing I'd say about refund fraud is that now that we're in January, February, and I usually say that January and February are chargeback season, and that is very true. And <laughs> a lot of times I will work with retailers in January and February to help them better fight their chargebacks or other pieces of the chargeback process. But now I would also say this is the time to really dive into your refund data. So find out, you know, what the total refund you know amount was per month. Compare it over the last few years on those months. Notice the differences. Have conversations with customer service and where and your warehouse to determine what they're seeing and what's going on as far as customers requesting refunds when the product that they ordered isn't returned or certainly isn't in resale condition. That will help you. I actually have a whole, when I did the refund fraud training for retailers in September, I created a whole checklist for what merchants need to look at and go through. And I I'm not 100% sure if I'll be offering the refund fraud workshop this year, but I know I have a few people on the waiting list. If that's something you're interested in, that would help make my decision if you let me know. But uh, it was really a good experience to for the merchants that were involved. I think I mentioned this before, but sometimes everything blends together. But there was at least one retailer that sent me a note that said that although he was atheist, even he could see that I was doing the Lord's work. So with the refund fraud workshop. So I thought that was a very good testimonial and uh, very sweet and affirming. <laughs> so definitely, you know, go dive into those numbers, share them with your leadership to show them that there's an issue. If there is an issue, I hope for your sake that there isn't, but I have a feeling that if you start to look, you're gonna find some monsters under the bed, so to speak. That was kind of a half of analogy, so I apologize for that. <laughs> So that's really what I have to say about what's going on in retail in 2021. And we'll just kind of stop there and I will share with you what I saw overall as trends in just a minute. This podcast is sponsored by Sion, the modern fraud prevention solution for the most ambitious fintech names like Revolut, Afterpay, and Wise. Uniquely combining device and digital footprint, with social signals and AI, Sion gives real-time insights into every transaction. It's the preferred risk tech stack for a digital generation. Get started for free at sion.io slash demo. 
Well, as I mentioned, there are just several things I get to notice in this 10,000 foot view that I am so lucky to have in the fraud prevention, risk management, trust and safety space within e-commerce and fintech. And although this alone could be a podcast episode, I just wanted to share a few of the things I've noticed because I really do feel like we're in the midst of a pretty big shift, almost like a seismic shift in a way. I think the most recent shift I can compare this to is when credit cards uh, started accepting EMV and how the majority of the fraud that was happening in person, which at the time, at least in like 2013 or 14, counterfeit cards in person and in store accounted for over 50% of all credit card fraud. Well, once a chip came in, it made it very a lot more difficult to counterfeit cards. And so even though there is still some fraud happening on that and fraudsters have found ways to manipulate EMV cards and and work around the system, especially as there isn't a pin associated with a chip transaction when it's on a credit card, not a debit card, there also oftentimes the POS systems will allow for a swipe of a transaction if the chip doesn't work three times. So for a transaction. So there are still loopholes and there are still some in-store, in-person card counterfeiting happening, but it's very minor. And so from 2015 until now, we've just seen online fraud skyrocket because of that shift. Well, this last year and a half has been a big shift. I'm not going to not going to say that all of it is related to COVID, but there's definitely some interdependencies that that does happen, especially as e-commerce grows, fraud's going to grow and, and hide within that growth. But also there's new businesses and new systems and new just all kinds of you know business models to exploit fintech and, and neobanks as you know Gil and I are talking about. So on this Tuesday's episode. So there's just a lot of other things happening where I'm like, oh boy, fraud is actually changing at the core. The types of fraud that are happening are starting to shift. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about in this last little segment of the episode. So starting with, there's been over $100 billion lost in fraud due to COVID relief fraud. And even though this doesn't have a huge impact directly, on e-commerce merchants and fintech and and those of you that listen to this podcast. But I do think it's really worth mentioning because as somebody very smart that I talked to a couple of weeks ago pointed out, this is basically like a war chest for fraudsters. They're not retiring somewhere on this money. They're doubling down and using this money as investments to better apply technology to better be able to exploit systems and processes and steal from online businesses. That is really at the end of the day, I think that is what we're seeing. That's why we're seeing things like fraudsters having the victim's email address and the victim's phone number and the victim's address because and using it, right? Sometimes they have it, but they don't use it. Now they're using it because they know that e-commerce merchants check that oh, okay, this email address is connected to this cardholder and this cardholder is connected to the address. So it's got to be the cardholder making the purchase. But they know that and they're trying to use that. But with this really infusion of funds into the fraud ecosystem, there's going to be a lot of fallout for years. You pair that with all the breaches that have happened and all of the stitching of databases that are happening within fraud ecosystems, it's slightly terrifying, especially for those of us consumers that live in the U.S. 
real U.S. is disproportionately impacted by online fraud. That is another topic for another day as to why, but it is something to be aware of. Also, on a similar note, fraud as a service is getting out of control. Whether it's ransomware as a service, these OTP bots, which I don't think I've talked a lot about, but they're terrifying. They're actually providing fraudsters with one-time passwords and they're exploiting the victim to make them think that they're verifying with their bank, but really they're providing that code to the fraudster. So essentially, you know, knowing that so many e-commerce and fintech companies are using one-time passwords sent to SMS or email, there are now these OTP bots that you can rent or use or commission, depending on the service, where you just put in the phone number of the victim and they send out a text saying, hey, we believe that you've been compromised and you're a victim of fraud. Please provide us with the one-time password that was provided by Google or provided by whatever the, the entity was. And that is a way that they have found to get around SMS OTP, uh, one-time passwords and multi-factor authentication. So that is definitely something to be aware of. Buy for you, where if somebody wants to make a purchase on a stolen credit card, really they just want to get something for super cheap. They don't really care how it happens. They can hire someone to buy it for them and then pay them a cut of the value of the item. Buy for you is leveraging both credit card fraud as well as account takeovers for this. Oftentimes we'll see the fees for buy for you will be less if it's account takeover because it's a faster transaction. Less work equals lower price. It's economics even in the fraud world. Refund fraud obviously is a huge fraud as a service issue, something I will have talked about and will continue to talk about for unfortunately years, but hopefully just a few more months. Maybe we can eradicate it in six months. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, people that are accepting money to be reshippers, there are even people who are just shipping out labels or providing training courses. They're not actually committing the crime, but they're enabling the crime and they're making a lot of money. So all of these are, you know, kind of becoming the whole new economy or ecosystem to supercharge fraud. You're a, there's just a lot more knowledge and they're democratizing that knowledge. And quite honestly, they are collaborating better than we are because they can. They don't have privacy policies. They don't have 40 hour work weeks. They don't have, you know, some of the restrictions that we have on collaborating and especially like from a public perspective, they're just posting the stuff in fairly public forums because they don't care. They There's not a lot of fear on their end that they'll be caught and a lot of them won't for lack of law enforcement, lack of understanding of fraud from law enforcement, lack of merchants and victims and banks going to law enforcement. It's just that's a whole other subject. Their fraudsters are becoming more sophisticated and have unprecedented unprecedented data. Sorry, I cannot say that word today, especially on U.S. consumers. That's kind of been a theme throughout this episode. It's something that I will continue to talk about. It keeps coming up on my merchant collaboration calls as an issue. And so it's something that I want to continue to get the word out on, especially when it's coming up in both of my merchant collaboration calls within two totally different verticals. That doesn't happen all the time. So when it does, it's like, oh, this is impacting the entire industry. Fraud is expanding far beyond credit cards. There's BNPL, there's crypto, there's neobanks, there's other alternative payment methods, there's 
refund fraud, promo code abuse, loyalty fraud. You don't need a stolen credit card anymore to profit from fraud. You don't need a stolen credit card anymore to get items or be able to, you know, exploit a company for fraud. You can commit promo code abuse, loyalty fraud, refund fraud. You can go through a BNPL. Like there's just so many different options and that's really causing the shift as well. Additionally, ATOs are becoming more sophisticated. I've mentioned this before, and I know when Ellie Dominance was on from Q6, we talked a lot about how account takeovers are happening with so much more precision. Fraudsters know that we are looking at their device, and that's one of the most key pieces of information, not the only one, but a key piece of information in knowing if the original account holder is placing an order or cashing out on credits or loyalty points, et cetera. And so we're, they are now trying to emulate the devices that the victims of or the original owners of those accounts have. One way that they're doing this with quite amount of precision is by infecting user devices with malware. Every time they go to a login page, whether it's for their bank or an e-commerce site, there is a message being sent back to the malware host with not only the username and password, but all of the session data. Everything that you look for in device ID from browser history, or not browser history, but the browser version, the language, the, you know, just all the different attributes of a device are sent to that host. I have unfortunately or fortunately seen that raw data and been able to share that in some of my recent presentations in trading companies. And that's been insightful, but also a little terrifying. And so once they have that session data and device ID and all of that, they're then logging into emulators. The one of the most popular is Lincoln Sphere and putting all that information in and basically able to emulate the customer so that it looks like that account is being accessed by the same person who's always accessed it by the account holder. And that's just making it more difficult to identify. That doesn't mean it's impossible, but it does mean it's more difficult. So I feel like I have just been Debbie Downer today. <laughs> so now for a little bit of good news. I've also gotten to see a lot of good this past year in our industry. And I don't mean to sound like Pollyanna or Su Susie Sunshine, but I do this is what keeps me going. This is what helps me retain my faith in humanity is the people in this industry. And I think everyone knows I have a passion to help this industry. That's like old news. But being able to be a part of bringing companies that are traditionally competitors together on a call or in a room, hopefully one day soon, you know, talking to them at a conference, all those things is just pure magic and really is what's going to help us keep up, if not defeat all of these issues. And as well as more, there's more data collaboration opportunities within systems. There's just more innovative and unique technology approaches to fraud fighting. I used to often say when I would speak at conferences that you can't fight today's fraud with yesterday's tools. And I think that that's very true. I, I literally just got an email from a merchant right before I started recording this podcast. It was just a name I hadn't seen in a while in my inbox. So I opened it really fast and they were uh, saying something similar. that They've been with their same provider for over five years and they're wanting to do an RFI just to see what else is out there. And they've asked for my help with that. That's not the point of 
<laughs> me sharing this, but they are the third merchant today that I've heard that from. And I think that that's healthy and I think that that's good. And I hope that that also encourages the tools that we may put in the category of yesterday to step it up and keep up with all of these new innovative fraud trends. Because unfortunately, there are some tools that haven't innovated over the last several years. And when merchants that use those tools are on our calls, I can almost spot them immediately because of the issues they're having, because their fraud provider isn't catching what it needs to. So I do not name names here. You all know that I'm vendor agnostic, especially on a public platform, but something to really consider, right? Take a look at what's out there. Ask someone that you trust, hey, who should I look at next? I'm starting to have sponsors on my podcast. I am trying to only have innovative sponsors and sponsors who their customers love. Sion is one of them. There will be others in the coming weeks, well, coming months. And you know, I hope that also helps you learn, oh, okay, I hadn't heard of these guys before, but maybe I'll check them out. There's also going to conferences and and talking to them and learning more about solutions and getting past the buzzwords and getting to what do you provide? How do you help? What is it about your tool that's going to help me fight not only the fraud of today, but the fraud in two years, because it's obviously changing. So you know, the other one, the last thing I'm going to share is that I do feel like our little industry is starting to get more recognition within e-commerce, within fintech, within these organizations. More organizations are seeing, wow, not only are we losing a lot of money to fraud, but we're also losing our customer reputation or just our reputation for protecting our customers. We're also, you know, it's impacting other areas of our business. This is an area that we need to invest in. And that is exciting to me and uh, makes me happy to hear because for a long time, a lot of us felt like we were just kind of not the dirty little secret of the company, but at least like working out of the broom closet. And that's why conferences have been such a good respite for us to get to hang out with other people that understand our plight and what it sometimes feels like to not be taken seriously. But I do feel those tides shifting in the conversations I'm having in the conversations I know that other fraud leaders are having, as well as in some salaries of newer positions. I mean, I'm going to be talking about the great reshuffle in fraud in the next couple of weeks. It is insane, but there are some interesting stories and I think some lessons that hiring managers as well as people that are starting to look for jobs can learn from. But it's just there's a lot of change happening and I'm hoping I was going to say I'm hopeful, but I'm trying to be hopeful that some of this changes for the good. And so I try to look at that just as much as looking at what's coming at us, what what's kind of on the meteorological map, so to speak, of the fraud storm, the never-ending fraud storm. But we also have to balance it out with, well, you know, there's a lot of good too. We've come a really long way, at least since I've been in this industry. We have more than duct tape and bailing wire to protect our companies. And I think that is a good note to leave it on. So with that, I am going to sign off for today. But thanks again for listening. I am just so lucky to have so many really awesome listeners of this podcast. And that is another good note that I am going to leave it on. So thanks again for listening. I will talk to you soon.
thank you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.